The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What is good, everybody? Welcome to the SB Nation NFL show. I'm Rob Stats Guerrero from Niners Nation. Happy to be joined by Kyle Posey from Niners Nation, Justice Mosqueda from Mackey Packing Company, and behind the glass from Arrowhead Pride, my arch enemy, our arch enemy this week, KP, Steven Serta as well. Gentlemen, happy Wednesday to you. How are you feeling going into the week this week, Kyle? Um, we get a chalk every, we get a chalk at least one loss a we, uh, year up to. It's the NFL. It happens. And I think uh, we can say that last week for the 49ers, at least. Um, It's tough to win a game when you don't have your starting defensive line in there. Justice, can you say the same? Hey, man, we're 500. It's all up to us. (laughs) Cope, 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 cope. (laughs) I I woke up today. The rest is on me. That's how how I'm feeling. And that's how I'm feeling for the rest of the season. It's a one-game season. If we make the playoffs, it's totally fine. Just beat just, Mike McCarthy. He just hit us with like 27 cliches in 27 seconds. <laughs> I don't beat want Mike to... McCarthy. Don't <laughs> lose to him in Lambeau. That's all I care about this year. I don't want to brag or anything, but I did happen to win the picks last week, the SB Nation picks. Somehow I ended up with the best record. And the reason is because I picked the Jets to beat the Packers. And the only reason mm-hmm. I did that is after talking with you, Justice, last week on this show, you convinced me and you were right. They're not a good football team right now. They could lose to Washington. They could lose to what? Taylor Haneke, Zach Wilson, who completed one pass of over 10 yards. (laughs) Daniel Jones, who did not look good in that football game and had a bum ankle still running against them in in London. And Bailey Zappi off the bench. No prep. That's their last month. They haven't played a receiver yet either. Like, they haven't played a really good receiver yet, and they're still losing all these football games. This is not a good football team right now. They either are going to get better or they're not going to make the playoffs. Like, they're not playing like a playoff team right now. The Packers are proof that if you can't stop the run in the NFL, you have no prayer. And they look like they're chasing their tails when they were trying to corral Brees Hall last week. It was mm-hmm. tough. It's every week, KP. Boy, you hate to see it. That's a damn shame, isn't it? We got a full show for you today. Uh, Before we go any further, I want to remind you we are brought to you by DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SBNFL for a special offer when you sign up. That is code SBNFL only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Green Bay Packers have lost to both 
the Giants and the Jets this season. I'm stunned by how those two teams are playing. I thought we need to take a deep dive Whoa. on that. Oh. No, What's I'm that? just talking about the pack. The Packers all oh. offseason. We heard about the Packers defense. And now the Joe Barry team who has never been able to stop the run, still cannot stop the run. So <gasps> surprising. Come on, man. <laughs> Well, I wanted to find out what's going on with these New York teams. So I talked to Bob Glauber, formerly of Newsday, did retire this year, but clearly still watches the game and is, knows everything about the Giants and the Jets. We're going to talk to him. We're going to do our week seven gauntlet as well. Or is it week seven? I, even, I lost track. Yeah, we're in week seven now. So we're going to do that. Let's dive into the New York football situation with Bob Glauber. This is the SB Nation NFL show. We are very pleased and privileged to be joined by a very special guest, someone I got the chance to know when I was working at NBC, Bob Glauber, erstwhile writer for Newsday, now enjoying a well-deserved retirement. Bob, thanks for getting out of your retirement haze, as you put it before we press record, and joining us. Yeah, thank, thank you. Glad to be here, Rob. Got to kind of, you know, slap myself awake a little bit, but it's okay. I still... You know, I, it's it's nice in retirement that I still love to watch football. And I was kind of curious, having covered it for like 37 years, if I'd still like it. But, man, I, I love watching and it's nice to, to be able to kind of watch it without it, without having a deadline hanging over my head. Are you able to? Yeah. Do you watch it now strictly as a fan or is it kind of hard to turn off that sort of machine that you've been running, like you said, for almost 40 years? Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not a fan. I'm a fan of football. I'm a fan of good stories. I'm a fan of good play. Um, I grew up a Jet fan, but I am not. I, I, I wouldn't call myself a Jet or a Giant fan or or really any fan. I, I I like. I'm a fan of good players and and really good games. Well, you know good stories, and if you listening like good stories, you should definitely go and pick up Bob's book, Guts and Genius. It is a fantastic book about Bill Walsh, Bill Parcells and Joe Gibbs, three of the best coaches of their era. And it's now coming out in paperback. Is that right, Bob? Robert, check it out, baby. There it is. Paperback writer, Paul McCartney, John Lennon. Well done. It is. The stories in there will blow your mind. Just the little things that happen that end up having massive, massive influences later down the line. I wanted and to you know, Bobby. Rob, I got, can I just tell you, like, I, I know that that's the 80s football, which was great classic football. You were young. If, if you're not if you were not born yet but it was great football and the seeds of that era continue today because there have been 41 Super Bowls played since Bill Walsh won his first Super Bowl in 81 and of those 41 35 have been won by coaches either Walsh Gibbs or Parcells or coaches who are on their trees it's it's That's it's mind-blowing and that includes and that includes Sean Sean McVay um, just in, in February. Yeah. The, the kind of seeds of that, I don't think people realize like the close ties between the eras there and how one thing affects the other. Like we said, yeah. go pick up the book. I promise you Rob, won't be disappointed. Were you born in the eighties, bro? Yeah. I'm a baby of the eighties, 85, baby. <laughs> Come on now, Rob, Rob. I started covering football in 1985. I love it. Wow. Well, there you go. I'm well, I'm lucky because I got uh, a lot of the Bob Glauber career then. So lucky there me. There you go. There you go. I wanted to talk to you today because you covered the Jets and Giants. And all of a sudden now, the Jets and Giants are good. And I need help understanding this. Before we get into 
where they are right now, though. I think people need to understand just how bad it's been. Let's start with the Giants. How how bad was it before Brian Dable? It was really bad, uh, Rob, because, you know, it was not only, you know, Tom, the Tom Coughlin era kind of fizzled after that second Super Bowl after the 2011 season. And then John Mara kept trying to be aggressive and in, in, in hiring people who he thought could fix it. Um, you know, Ben McAdoo, you know, he showed up in that ill-fitting suit at his oh. first press conference. It was it was a sign of things. But, you know, he got to the playoffs that first year and they haven't been in the playoffs since it was the only time they had gotten to the playoffs since they won the Super Bowl. Now, that's a long time for a team that's accustomed to success. So I think the um, the Dave Gettleman era was was about as bad as a general manager could get. And the fact that he was retained when Joe Judge was hired, that was a, another big mistake. So they're still they're still paying for that. But to have a guy like Brian Dable uh, come in there and Joe Shane, the general manager, has been a very settling influence on the front office. He's made good moves. He's not been able to afford a lot of big, splashy moves because the cap was in such bad shape left behind by Dave Gettleman. But you see what's happening. I mean, all of a sudden they're five and one. And, you know, they're not a dominant team. But I think what you can say is right now they are a well-coached team because to be five and one in a league where close games are the rule, that speaks to coaching. And and Brian Dable has, has got it going early on. The surprising thing to me is if you look at some of their quotes before the season began, it was almost like they were sort of telling you, like, we don't really expect to be good in year one. And yet here they are. I mean, even Bill Parcells needed to go, what, three and 12 his first year, whatever it was. Dable's coming out flying out of the gate. Yeah, he's already won more games. And it's not even November. He's already won more games than Joe Judge won all of last season <laughs> in his 17-game year. That, that really kind of says something. And I think he's been good uh, for Daniel Jones. Jones is, is not a dominant quarterback and never will be. But he is an efficient quarterback. Hit his ceiling. He's efficient, mistake-free, and, and can get the big throw when he, when he needs to. Right? That's, that's his top, I think, you know, unless, unless there's really a lot more to go. Um, but he's played well. He's played relatively turnover-free football, and that's that's been the key offensively. And defensively, Wink Martindale, what a what a breath of fresh air as a coordinator. He's just this, you know, kind of a mad scientist, Rex Ryan type. He even looks a little like Rex <laughs> with that vest. You know, he's got the black vest and the white uh, shirt underneath. And, you know, and there's a lot of aggressiveness that Rex had, um, especially in the days with Baltimore and then with the Jets. Um, so it's it's been a good combination so far. Were you surprised that John Mara was very kind of hesitant to sort of take a victory lap after their good start? They just asked him about it. and He was kind of like, yes, we're happy and we're moving on. Like he didn't really I thought he would like give a little more, give himself maybe a little credit. And he didn't do that. Yeah, that's a fair observation, Rob. And and I'll tell you, when I was there when he uh, kind of located i wanted to visit my old friends so i went to an nfl owners meeting that's that's pretty pathetic but it's okay i'm i'm not coming back uh, but i saw john and he's careful but i've been at those meetings you know that october meeting in new york you mm-hmm. always take the temperature of the new york teams because the new york owners are there and let me tell you something he has been at that meeting when his teams have been zero and five zero and six and tried to explain that and he stands up there and he explains it he takes the bullets but he understands that it's early you know bill parcells 
he drummed it into that organization 30, 40 years ago. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And that's why John Mara, is, he was smart to say, you know, we're on to Jacksonville. Don't, don't take it. <laughs> it's, it's a long process. And he's even seen a first-year coach have success with Ben McAdoo, and the wheels fell off less than a year later. So John is careful, and I think he's smart to be careful. Since you brought up the owners, I, I think that you're a good person to ask. Like you said, you've been at these meetings. This Daniel Snyder situation, we've now got another owner in Jim Irsay who has publicly come out on the record and said not only is there merit to, to removing Daniel Snyder, but also that he thinks it's possible there's actually 24 votes necessary to do it. Do you think that Daniel Snyder could potentially be forced to sell his team? I think we're a long way from that, Rob. Um, and I know it was a dramatic pronouncement uh, by Jim Ursa yesterday. There's no question. And he's the only owner who has gone on record like that um, to say about Daniel Snyder, he's not good for the league. We think we should get rid of him. We think we can. And he was also careful to say we have to hear all the facts, and, and they do. I think, I think um, Jim might have – he might have stepped in it a little bit legally because Daniel Snyder will seize upon this and say, well, he's being prejudged before all the facts come out. But that's all, you know, a story for another day. And that's the legal stuff. But I think we're a long way away from the league ousting Daniel Snyder, unless something comes out in these investigations that is airtight, ironclad, can't have it. He has to go. And that's possible. But Things as they stand now, I would think they're, you know, the, the preference would be to just make it uncomfortable enough for him that, that he'd sell. And, and he shows no inclination to sell. So they're, they're at that standoff. And I, I suspect it's going to take quite a while longer to resolve it one way or the other. And, you know, you're supposed to look at the facts and be objective. And I understand that. But part of any vote is the human element and how people generally feel about you or, or the person they're voting on as a person. What mm -hmm. is the feeling of Daniel Snyder among the Maras and maybe some of the other owners, at least in the NFC East? Well, you know, it's, it's hard to, they don't, they don't publicly say that. I, I think, look, I, I think you can safely say that those other owners in the NFC East would prefer it. If Daniel Snyder was much more of a team player in terms of the overall good and, and integrity of the league, if he ran his organization without, Congress having to get involved in <laughs> stepping in, right? I mean, that's that's a that's a that's a really significant step, and you don't want that in in the NFL. The NFL wants to stay out of Washington, so I think there is a feeling not only among the NFC East owners but among all owners that listen, you know, we we compete against each other from a football standpoint, but collectively we we need to kind of row in the same direction. And that's the problem uh, with Daniel Snyder. And, he, you know, he's a bit of a rebel. And they've had rebels before. Al Davis, you know, he went to the Hall of Fame as a, as a rebel owner. Jerry Jones uh, is not liked by everybody. He's in the Hall of Fame. And he has done wonders financially uh, for the NFL. He's, his franchise playoff-wise has kind of gone down after he parted ways with Jimmy. But he's been good for the league in terms of growing. So, you know, this, this Snyder thing is going to be hanging over the league for as long as he is the owner. Yeah, Jerry at least can say, hey, I help you guys make money. You don't have to like me, but I help you make money. And if there's one thing that group of people respond to, it's someone making them money. And and Jerry, 
he has power, he has influence, and he knows how to use it. I don't know that Daniel Snyder necessarily has that. I mean, especially if if he loses the support of Jerry Jones, he might be kind of on his own. Yeah, uh, he has been an ally of Jerry Jones before, and I and I think you're right. Um, he he doesn't have that. You know, Daniel Daniel Snyder doesn't have the it factor as far as you know being a businessman who can kind of push the ball forward uh, financially. Um, he's been a drag on the league, quite frankly, and his his franchise. Uh, let's put it this way. It's the easiest ticket in town to mm-hmm. get into FedEx field, which is still a much of a, a I think it's the biggest dump in the NFL right now. <laughs> now that the Oakland Coliseum is out. Wow. Don't hold back. It's a dump. I, it's a dump. I, I, that's one place I will not miss going to. And I loved going to RFK was, which is a rickety old building where the press box shook when the, when the Washington would score touchdowns. But I'm just like, it was, I, I don't miss that place. Before we go, I do want to talk about the Jets because they deserve some praise as well. When Robert Sala came out a couple weeks ago and said, you know, we've got the receipts, I thought, oh, no. I, I honestly thought maybe the 49ers will be able to hire Robert Sala back as defensive coordinator after he gets fired by the Jets. Now, life is good. Sala was right. Well, listen, I think he, if he had gone back and had a chance to do that one over, he wouldn't have said that. It came out, <laughs> it was emotional, and it was, honestly, it was sensitive, and it was um, thin-skinned. And, and he's not generally that way. I think you, you knew him from San Francisco, very emotional guy, um, very loyal guy, and very intense guy. So I think that maybe the emotion got to him, because he really has been adamant about believing in what he has, and what the process is, and what the players uh, can do for this team. And I think you're seeing, especially the rookie class this year, led by Sauce Gardner, they've injected a sense of optimism because they're playing better. So um, Robert Sala feeling a lot better about himself uh, now than when he said that uh, famous receipts mark remark. Um, but that'll always, you know, we'll always have that as a reference point uh, in some form. And he's kind of even been doing it, you know, without spectacular quarterback play to say the least, do you think yep. that before this year, Salah was on the hot seat? No, not no. at all. I don't. I don't. Now, if he if he went two and fifteen, yeah, he's out. Okay, but he's not going two and fifteen and with with that team. Um, so I don't think there was a hot seat. You know, the Johnson family for say say what you will, they have been a patient group. Now they got rid of Adam Gase after two years because they had to. That was a mistaken hire, and they admit it. But, you know, rather than throw good money after bad, they parted ways and, and they start over again. But, you know, they gave they gave Todd, Bowl, Todd Bowles a number of years. They gave Rex Ryan a number of years after it started going south. So Woody Johnson doesn't prefer to, to fire coaches, but he will when the circumstances warrant. Today is October 19th. Are you willing to say right now that the Jets and the Giants are going to be in the playoffs? No. No, 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 man. It's a long year and it's, and it's even longer with 17 games. All right. There are ebbs and flows to a season. And I think we get stuck and I, I, I get stuck myself in this recency bias. You know, a team is on a roll. You think it's always going to be on a roll, but that's the beauty of this league. It's so evenly matched that, you know, when you get on a roll, unless you're the Buffalo bills, uh, or Kansas City or a really elite team, 
you know, I, I just don't trust that the, the Giants can keep now schedule wise. It, it benefits them, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't think they're a 10 and two team, you know, after 12 weeks. And, um, but, but I think Philly is more for real. Let's put it that way. than than the Giants are, I think the Giants are probably the biggest surprise in a positive way this year. Uh, but I'm not putting them in the playoffs and I'm especially not putting the Jets in the playoffs just yet. Before we go, I want to put you on the spot a little bit, because like we talked about, you have had decades in the league. You have seen some incredible stories, incredible players, incredible teams. When you look back at your career, when if I asked you to think of like one story that pops out or one memory that pops out, what is the first thing that pops into your head? I would say, um, you know, as a journalist, can I can I take two? One as a journalist, one as a a, sure as a journalist. You know, it's 30 years ago that Carl Banks, I, don't, I wouldn't say he saved my career, but he allowed it to flourish. And, you know, Carl was a linebacker for the Giants at that time. He was in his second year. It's not, it's, uh, no, he was in like about his seventh year. And it was my first year as a columnist at Newsday, 1992. And I'm thinking I got to, I got to lob grenades and I got to just be fire, breathing fire in these columns, ripping. I'm in New York. I mean, and, and, and Banks noticed me at a press gathering around his locker and he noticed that I was in the back and hanging, hanging back and not talking and not participating. And he, he said, Hey, Glauber, what are you doing back there? And I was, what? Yeah, you, what are you doing? I go, I don't know. I stammered out something. And after it was over, he brought me over to his locker and he said, you know, what do you, what do you, what, what was that about? I said, Carl, I'm a columnist now. I got to, I think I got to hang back from you guys. I, I can't be close. I can't, you know, interact. I have to rip you guys when, when necessary. He said, that's okay. Don't change. You, you know, we trust you because you, you talk to us, you get the information. So if you're going to rip me, I, I'll let you can rip me, but I want to know that you know why you're ripping me and that it's well-reasoned. So don't change, man. And I'm telling you, that advice was incredible. It just took the heat off. And I, I stayed that way. I stayed true to that. Uh, memory wise, it's a funny one. The funniest story I remember, and it's just, it's just so enjoyable to recount. Uh, the Giants are in the Super Bowl uh, against the Bills in Tampa. And, you know, they upset the two-time defending champion 49ers, right? Thanks. Joe Montana lost to Jeff Hostetler. I apologize, but it was awesome. <laughs> Amazing. Just wasn't awesome for a fan. I'm not a, speaking as a fan. It was incredible, right? So they're in Tampa, and it's the last practice. And Parcells is nervous about Jumbo Elliott hang, you know, taking on Bruce Smith. He thinks that's a matchup that's going to really affect them a lot. So Parcells goes up to Lawrence Taylor on the team bus. Hey, Lawrence, come here. Uh, I need you to get into a fight with Jumbo today at practice. <laughs> uh, Lawrence says, no, I'm not doing that. And uh, he says, no, I, I, I need you to do it. I, Jumbo's not ready. I, I, I need to know that he's ready. So you've you got to just, you got to get into a fight. So reluctantly, LT agrees. And at the end of practice, last play, they go at it. And Lawrence starts to try to fight him. And then, <laughs> and then Jumbo comes after him. Lawrence simply runs away because <laughs> Jumbo can't run. So it, it ends. But Parcells gathers the team together. And he says, hey, you know, Jumbo, maybe he's afraid that you're not ready for this game, okay? You know, maybe that's why he's 
he's he's challenging you there. What, what what do you think of that? And Jumbo says, "Hey, listen, don't you don't you worry. I'm ready. I'll be ready." And he he took care of Bruce Smith in that game, and and then one of the biggest upsets in NFL history happened. And that was just one of those kind of cool behind the scenes stories that you come up with. That's why you do. That's why you do this. Did you get that from Lawrence or Bill or how did you find that story? I out? got that from. You could reveal all your sources now. It's totally no, fine. No, no, no. I would say um, uh, it certainly wasn't Jumbo, but but after that game, Bill Parcells walked by Jumbo Elliott's podium in the post game uh, media scrum, and he looked up at him and says, "Hey, Jumbo, you're an ass kicker. You know that. You're an ass kicker." And Jumbo just looked down and smiled. And and you know that was that. But that was the beauty of Bill Parcells and the magic of Parcells. See, these are the stories that I, you need to write another book. And I know you have one uh, that you you uh, worked with Keyshawn Johnson on. Is that correct? Yes. I, I Oh, well, Rob, I happen to have that right here. Oh, look this at that. Is, the Forgotten yeah. First. Yeah. This book, Rob, it's totally different um, than Guts and Genius. This book talks about the reintegration of pro football uh, back in, in the a year before Jackie Robinson integrated baseball. And, and nobody knows about these guys. Jackie Robinson is this iconic American figure. You ask who the first black players were in the modern NFL. Very few people will say Kenny Washington, Woody Strode, Marion Motley, and Bill Willis. But uh, it's a remarkable story. And Keyshawn was an amazing partner. It's, uh, it's a pretty remarkable story. Holidays are coming up. It's the perfect time to pick up some books for people that you want to make smarter football fans about the history of the game and everything else. Bob, thank you so much for the time today. We appreciate you hopping in. Thanks, Rob. And listen, at the end of the year, when the Jets and Giants are in the playoffs, you can come back yes. and troll me and say, you didn't believe, Glauber. There we go. I got the receipts, Bob. You got the receipts, all right? <laughs> Thanks. Be well, Rob. Thanks again to Bob. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to run the gauntlet. We have a mission this week, gentlemen. We are going to find the team in the NFC that sucks the least. And yes, Justice, I'm sorry to say your Green Bay Packers are on that list. As they win the gridiron gauntlet. Okay, Smarty, what's a gauntlet? Truly don't even know what a gauntlet is. The gauntlet has been laid. Back here on the SB Nation NFL show. All right, it is time to run the gauntlet, guys. We need to find out which team in the NFC sucks the least. And I've got quite a list here. We've been huddling up. We have assembled it. For anyone who doesn't know, the gauntlet, we will pit two teams or topics against one another. KP and Justice will pick a winner. If there is a tie, Steven Serta will hop in and pick a winner. And then we will move on to the next team on the list until only one emerges victorious at the end of the show so today's theme which nfc team sucks the least kp i'll start with you the carolina panthers or the justin fields led chicago bears oh my goodness man. <laughs> we are really uh starting with the lows of the low so i mean it has to be the panthers if you look at um pj walker oh sucks the least way off um I'm yeah i was like eyebrow raise i was like, raised. I was Sorry, like yeah, let's hear yeah, it had, 
had the question wrong. What I'm what I meant to say is, if you just watch the Panthers last week, the only time they scored a touchdown was because Matthew Stafford threw the ball to the opposing team. Um, if you watch, if you look at PJ Walker's throw chart, they have no intention of throwing the ball beyond five yards. It was pretty brutal to watch. And I know, you know, injured quarterback against the Rams, you probably really don't want to test against, you know, Aaron Donald, whatnot, but what are they doing? They have no plan, rhyme or reason on offense. The only time they really moved the ball and got into the red zone was late in the game when Christian McCaffrey made a guy miss and just ran down the sideline. And even then they still threw an interception in the end zone. So they don't really have much of a prayer. I'm going to go with the bears because I mean, it's tough to give up on an athlete like Justin Fields and, and they do have like young pieces that you can hope will come around. So I'll, I'll go with Chicago here. I think Chicago's defense actually isn't bad. And I think that's the best unit on the field in between these two teams. The one thing that I will say too, at least Chicago is bad enough at, at in the passing game that they kind of avoid it. Like that's actually something that actually <laughs> benefits them. There's some of these teams that are so bad at passing and they just, the volume is through the roof that it ends up hurting them more than like the passing offense, like hurts the Chicago bears. So we got that going for them too. I want to just remind everyone they converted Christian McCaffrey's uh, contract so that the dead cap hits the future instead of this year. They traded future draft picks for this team. They're paying, they're going to be paying for the talent on this team in the future. That was the worst decision I think of this summer for them. It, It couldn't have been, you know, we're giving Matt Rule an extra year. He's going to be a lame duck head coach pretty obviously, right? Like we came into the year knowing he was going to be one of the first guys canned. And then you also get to let him touch the future assets. Why did they let him touch the future assets? Those are the things that only make rebuilds harder. And I think the Carolina Panthers are staring down a pretty stark rebuild right now. Well, didn't they thought they were going to get Deshaun Watson, right? That would be my assumption is that they were doing that. To but they made some it. of these moves after. They made some of these moves after. Like, they didn't trigger the McCaffrey uh, no deal point. until after. And they had all this cap space. There was no reason to push some of this money forward unless you're just <laughs> – I guess I'm sure Robbie Anderson had a dead cap when you have to trade him because he's fighting with the, the assistants on the sideline because they're losing football games because obviously that's what's going to happen. But – it could have been a lot smoother for the next guy. It'll be interesting to see who they end up grabbing. So congratulations, Chicago Bears. You suck less than the Panthers, so you move on. Justice, who sucks less in the NFC? The Chicago Bears or the Arizona Cliff Kingsberries? Oh, man. I'm going to go with Chicago here. And again, it's just I think their defense is better. I think their, their passing offense is terrible. I mean, the, the the Cardinals are about as bad in the passing game as, as the as the Bears are, just in terms of, like, the volume that they throw and, and the amount that it hurts their team. Um, but their defense just isn't there. I mean, Arizona has to be a general manager's nightmare, right? It's all the guys on the defensive side that are, like, the super athletes that they tell you to go after in the draft. And at some point, they're, they're going to develop and all that stuff. And they have all this team speed and and they do, but outside of Buda Baker, like how many of those guys that they've taken who are, you know, speed guys who maybe have like something wonky with them. Buddha, it's that he's smaller, right? Isaiah Simmons, it's they don't know his position. Zayvon Collins, it's they don't know his position. They 
drafted guys like Robert Kandiche and no, he's not on the team anymore, but like taking some of those risks and none of them have really panned out other than Buda Baker. Right. So I think this team top down should make wholesale changes, but they just gave literally every decision maker an extension. So I don't know what you do. I mean, I, I don't understand why they extended Kai, to be honest, because I, I get Kyler and Cliff are tight. You want to keep Kyler. You have to keep Cliff. I understand that. Why do you have to extend Kime though? That didn't make sense to me. Kime's been a general manager for like 10 years, and I don't think he's any good at it. Because you don't want to saddle your new GM with a coach and quarterback that he doesn't get to pick. I guess, but if the quarterback, I mean, if we're in a situation now where quarterbacks are running everything, that's just going to be the new normal, right? I mean, Russ gets to pick where he plays. Aaron Rodgers gets to decide, you know, all sorts of roster construction stuff. Kyler gets to decide, yeah, we're going to extend Cliff or, or I'm not going to get an extension. Like, if this is just the new normal, like, you build everything around the quarterback. It's not about the general manager. The answer is the Cardinals. Um, we saw the Bears passing offense in a nutshell in the red zone on primetime, and they just they have nothing on the perimeter. And it's very hard to win in this league when you don't have any answers on the perimeter. So I do agree that their defense shows flashes. And I think Kyler Gordon, Jaquan Bush, like they're only going to get better as the season goes along. But when you're relying on Dante Pettis in the red zone, Rob, you know, <laughs> that is probably not the best option. The Cardinals are going to get DeAndre Hopkins back. Yes, Hollywood Brown is out. You, you would imagine that Robbie Anderson, like he's, by the way, Hollywood Brown was playing very well before he got hurt. And naturally, he got hurt on a play where you're throwing a fade route against him, 5'9", and a 6'4 corner, which kind of sums up Cliff Kingsbury in a nutshell. <laughs> he was a leftover. He probably shouldn't be a head coach. And now that they are tied to him even longer, it's, it, it does make it difficult to pick the Cardinals knowing that Kingsbury calls plays. The first drive, Arizona looks like they know what they're doing. They have a plan. And Cliff just never comes back to those plays for whatever reason. I don't know if he thinks he's not allowed to call those same plays again, but <laughs> it looks rough. And they, they just don't make any sort of adjustments. So that does make it difficult. But I, I thought that, you know, relative to what Seattle – I I think a lot higher – I think higher of Seattle's offense than most. And I thought that they did a pretty, pretty good job of slow, slowing Seattle down. Um <sighs> With that said, I don't think Isaiah Simmons can play. I don't know why they continue to trot him out there. Uh, he was the sole reason of giving up one touchdown on just a couple of boneheaded plays on one drive. But still, I'm be I'm betting on Kyler and DeAndre Hopkins over Justin Fields and Darnell Mooney at this point. So I'm I'm going to go with Arizona here. All right. I, I want to count a point before we bring Steven in. Go ahead. Yards per attempt. 30 four qualifiers in the NFL this year. Guess guess where uh Kyler Murray the anti Kyler stuff. <laughs> I knew it. 30 34th. 34th. Adjusted net yards per attempt, same amount of players, right? So adjusted net yards per attempt, it include it's a yards per attempt metric that includes sack yards, you count touchdowns as a plus 20 gain, you count interceptions as minus 45. There's all sorts of numbers uh, as to why that is. That's not important. Is basically just a yards per attempt metric that is includes touchdowns and interceptions and sacks. Where does Kyler Murray rank out of thirty-four quarterbacks who qualify this year? Thirty-four. I guess it's in the thirties. It's thirty. It's thirty. 
he's been playing terribly this year. So I yeah. understand, like, the, from a talent perspective, you look at it and you say, like, the Bears can't throw the ball. Look at what they have on the perimeter. The Cardinals have been sucking in the passing game, too. Like, they just paid this guy a ton of money to play. These are the guys that he's below. Joe Flacco, Davis Mills, Carson Wentz. Like, he's playing worse than them this year. I don't totally disagree, but I would put more of it on the coach than the quarterback, which feels kind of like a cop-out. And that's not to say that Kyler has been playing well. And I, I do agree that he does leave some yards on the field. But if you just go back and watch that offense in the second half against a Seattle defense, that is not good. That, that has not been good Terrible. all season. They couldn't move the ball. They are not calling anything, any sort of route concepts that will allow you to move the ball. I just don't understand what they're doing. But you would think that DeAndre Hopkins changes that. So that's – I'm essentially pushing all my eggs in the basket of DeAndre Hopkins. It's a good all basket. Right. Steven Serta, you are the man to break the tie. Does a wide receiver make that big a difference to you? I, I'm tempted to pick the Bears here just because the Cardinals only scored nine points against that awful Seahawks team that so gives up points to everyone. And it doesn't make any sense how you can't even score a touchdown against that defense. But I have to go with the Cardinals. I, I get it. Kyler Murray is, is struggling this year, but the Bears are just so bad top to bottom. And yes, they've got the intriguing young defensive talent. I just... I can't pick the bears for anything when they've just totally left Justin Fields out to dry this season. Like they did nothing in an entire off season to build around the guy that they thought could be their franchise quarterback. And I hate everything that's going on right now with Chicago. All right. So the Arizona Cardinals advance, I mean, in Kyler's defense, I'm pretty sure a new call of duty came out like last week. So let's just, you know, <laughs> he'll, he'll get right. Don't worry about that. Uh, Arizona Cardinals who sucks less KP Arizona or the one in four Detroit Lions. Oh, man. So Dan Campbell on their bye week, he didn't have his guys watching film purposely. Like he was having them do essentially everything else besides football. There are a lot of strange things that you hear coming out of Detroit. But coming off a of bye, you would think their offensive line starts to get more healthy. I don't know what the word is on Jameson Williams, but if he gets on the field, like they are going to be very dangerous on that side of the ball. Again, they don't have a defense at all, which is really strange because their defensive coordinator is very good. But I just think that they have more of a plan on offense. They know what their strengths are, and they rely on those. And that will lead me to pick them. And I would probably pick any other team other than the Bears over at the Cardinals. So I'm going to go with Detroit here. I'm going to go with the Lions, too. I think their offense is the best unit on the field um, in between these teams. I understand they're one and four, and I know – we just came off in an off season where everyone in football media said like the lions were the best two and 15 team that was, like had ever played. But like, yeah, this team was probably better than their record still. Um, you know, we were talking what a couple of weeks ago, it's like the Lions were leading the NFL in scoring. Like they can move the ball on the offensive side of the ball on the offensive side of it. Um, they can't stop a nosebleed on the defensive side. Um, but I still think they have the edge over Arizona because at least they could do one thing. They scored 45 points and lost, man. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that was easy. Okay. So, Kyle, which NFC team sucks the least, the Lions or the Commanders? Yeah, I'm going to have to stay with the Lions here. I don't know what the Commanders do well, 
<laughs> it, it's not great when the head coach goes to bat for one quarterback, said quarterback gets injured, the backup quarterback, the head coach comes out and says, now we get to open up the playbook. Which <laughs> one is it, Ron Rivera? Make up your mind. Um, again, the commanders, I don't know what they do well on defense. I know that Montez Sweat had a really good game and, you know, people are going to cling to that, but you can do whatever you want to against the commanders. They are, they're more benefiting from like playing teams like the Titans who are not good. And whereas the, the lions, again, they, they scored 45 against Seattle, but they lost, they scored 35 against the Eagles. I would imagine if these two teams played head to head, the lions would probably win. So I'm going to go with the lions. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with the Lions, too. I think their offense is better, and I don't think their defenses are too far apart. I mean, I know Washington, they have all those first-round picks on the defensive line, and everyone looks at that, and they just kind of assume that, that that's going to be a good team. But, like, Jack Del Rio, I feel like the game has kind of passed him by, and we've seen these issues year in and year out. And I guess, you know, he's tight with Ron Rivera. Ron Rivera isn't going to make the move on him. So until Ron is gone, you're dealing with Jack Del Rio, and, I don't know if any of those guys up front are going to get the most out of their careers until he's out of there because how many more times do we need to see it? It's like year three or four of it, and it's pretty bleak. It's pretty bleak. Oh, I feel bad for Washington fans. Washington has some brutal, brutal drives defensively when you watch them. To say that the game passed Jack Del Rio by is one of the biggest understatements that we'll have on this podcast. <laughs> and then it's not like their offense is humming either. They have no, the same no, no, success no. rate offensively as Chicago in a lower EPA uh, per play. So they, they don't do much well, even with much better uh, weapons on that side of the ball. Ron Rivera was the one that looked at the analytics. He right. wanted Carson Wentz, but now Carson's out. So they're going to be able to open up the playbook for the back. He said he looked at the piece of paper. And that's why I was like, I, as someone who, so I worked at the XFL, right? I had to translate all these analytics to, to boomer people in head coaching, situ, uh, head coaching spots or in front office spots. We had to get it drilled in our head, one sheets, one sheets, one sheets. If it's beyond one sheet, they're not going to look at it. They're going to throw it away. It was just very funny for me to hear Ron Rivera say, I looked at the analytics. I picked up the piece <laughs> of paper. And I was like, oh, God, just flashbacks. Did you read the book? Well, I read the Cliffs Notes. Yeah. <laughs> right. I looked at the graph. Right. Thanks for telling on yourself, Ron. Yeah, like, oh, God. Okay, so the Lions move on. Uh, Justice. Which team in the NFC sucks less, the Lions or the two and four New Orleans Saints? Ooh, I did see. Uh, we have the NFL reacts polls, right? That come out every week. Mm-hmm. Um, the Saints blog for SB Nation came out and was like, "Should we can Dennis Allen?" Like, oh, oh, we're there already. I didn't. Come I didn't realize. On. Of course, we're there. Guy. Who I, thought that was going to work? Come on. I, I think they're okay. I, I think I would go Saints here. Offensively, they're all right. Um, you know, they're having to deal with the whole quarterback situation with uh, Jameis and uh, Andy Dalton rotating there um, because of injury. Defensively, I think they've regressed, but I think they still have talent on the defensive side. Like, it's hard for me to look at that depth chart, and I know I'm just coming off of talking about how Washington's defensive line is good, but that doesn't mean the defense is good. You look at the Saints, they they still have ballers on the defensive side. So if they can match that with some of this Jameis magic and, you know, you're going to get Chris Olave on turf indoors and he's like your second or third option at receiver, like, why isn't this team better? It, that's what I just don't get. Remember, we were talking about this team 
as a potential playoff team, like a wild card team coming into the year. Oh, by the way, no Michael Thomas, no Jarvis Landry, no Marshawn Lattimore this week against the Cardinals. That's that's what I was going to say. Like, how is it Dennis Allen's fault that you go into a game with Andy Dalton and all he has to throw to is a rookie wide receiver? And everybody thinks the world of of Chris Olave, but he's still a rookie wide receiver. So to take away two of your biggest threats on the perimeter, knowing that they lost her on Armstead in the offseason, like, come on, man. That's that's such a fan a fan's brand to say, oh, it's a head coach's fault. Get him out of here. They do have a lot of talent on both sides of the ball, I think. So um, I'm, I'm going to the Saints. And I know it is it is still relatively early, but if anything, that's a team that could turn it around if they get some of these guys back. But at the same time, yeah. um, it, I'm not so sure that's going to happen. I will say defensively, Tyron Matthew, oh, it's looking a lot like uh, it might be time. <laughs> it might be time. They're only a game behind the Bucks too, in, ter- yeah. in terms of the lead in the NFC South. Like, they're not a bad football. I guess player. I should I say I the Bucks that. and the Falcons, because the Falcons are also three. <laughs> so we, I'm sorry, we both agree it's the Saints. Yeah. All right, New Orleans moves on, and now we get to the nitty gritty. KP, I'll start with you. I'll make Justice have to listen to you first on this. Which NFC team sucks less, the Saints? <sighs> Or the Packers of Green Bay? One team can get off the field on defense. The other team cannot. One team has a receiver who you can trust on the other side or on the outside. <laughs> the other team cannot. One team. How dare you besmirch a- Romeo Dobbs? <laughs> Has he got out of witness protection program against Sauce Gardner yet? Oh enough! No? Oh, all right. Enough, I Thanks. dude. If I if I see him in the cheese head one more time, I'm gonna freak out. He was streaming on Twitch playing Warzone with the cheese oh, head on, and I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Yes, I hate what this. A king. Yeah, the uh, the Packers, man. Speaking of leaving a lot to be desired, what the Jets are an up and coming team. You should be able to score points against the Jets. I don't know if they made mistakes. I don't know if they missed field goal or had a blocked field goal or whatnot, but. I would trust the Saints to do better against the Jets. I would trust the Saints to beat the Packers. I don't know what the Packers do well right now, and I can point to specific things that the Saints would potentially do well if they were healthy. I don't know what the answer for the Packers is other than sign OBJ and maybe four other wide receivers to have you know a semblance of offense. Why they are not leaning on Aaron Jones more is beyond me because, in my opinion, like that's their best weapon. And he's a guy who should probably have 25 to 30 carries, and that might seem like a lot, but like that's all you have. So lean on him. But yeah, the Packers are disappointing. So I'm going to go with the Saints. I thought it was really interesting. I'm going to say Packers, obviously. Um, But I I thought it was really interesting that Rodgers brought up this point on the Pat McAfee show yesterday. So he said, Teams are basically game planning their personnel now. And if they're in gun or if they're under center. So what they mean by that, right, is um, if you're going under center, teams are playing them in too high because they don't want them taking that play action shot, right? So they're like, okay, just run it. Run it. That's fine. Get three yards of whatever you're going to get. When they're in the gun, they're playing cover three uh, or, or cover one. They're playing middle of the field, um, close coverages where you have, you know, a post safety in the middle of the field and you allow someone to drop down into the box and they're just playing the RPO game, right? They're trying to stop the run because you're getting in the gun run and then you're throwing all these little slants and stuff onto the perimeter. 
So really all they can do is like under center, we can run the ball in the gun. We can throw like these shot plays up the sideline where we're trying to give our guys one-on-one shots. And it's a really inefficient, but like game swinging completion. If you do complete it. And then he said, you know, when, when AJ Dillon's in the game and Mercedes Lewis are in the game, that's when you see them when you're, you know, you're under center, they spin into single high again and they're trying to stop the run. So they're in a spot where it's like, you got to run Aaron Jones. And for whatever reason, they just don't want to do it from under center. And it just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, this guy's averaging like five, six yards per carry pretty he's consistently. So just run him. I understand he's a smaller guy. Run him. That's all you can do right now. We went through an entire offseason where we're like, this is the best This is the best uh, talent that we have. I think he has something like 28 touches in their last like 22 drives or something like that. Run his ass. Wow. Run his ass. So when I watch the Packers, and I do want to ask about this player, but before we get there, I think the Jets, the Jets game specifically kind of exposed their lack of physicality. And the Jets are a physical team. But their offensive line like got the, their ass kicked. That's the worst I've yes. seen their offensive line play in at least five, six years. So There were haymakers being thrown from the Jets, and they wanted the Packers – are the they I'm referencing. They wanted nothing to do with like any sort of physicality. And I don't want to say they folded, but they just didn't have an answer. So going on the sticking with the defensive side of the ball, like how big of a loss was Zadarius Smith? And like, were we underrating that because they still have like good players, but he seemed like he put everybody else in line. And now they're, they are younger on that side of the ball, especially at the second level. But I don't know. I have a lot of questions, but they all come back to Zadarius Smith. I don't. Zadarius didn't play last year either. I think what really That's kills Green, Green Bay is that entire defense is built to play with the lead, right? And I know that's like a very uh, weird thing to say, to say like, yeah, we just assume that we're going to have the lead. I mean, <laughs> when you take the defensive coordinator job in Green Bay and your quarterback's Aaron Rodgers, like that's kind of what you assume, right? Sure. And I think – what was it like eight straight drives, eight straight scoreless drives that the Jets started off with um, before the Packers really started getting worn down. And, you know, Robert Sala talked about it and he was like, just keep punching them, drag them into deep water and they don't know how to swim and all that stuff. I, you can't play that many runs out of split high safeties and get no penetration on the defensive line unless it's Kenny Clark on the interior. Right and survive some of these games. Your offense has to score. So if their offense can't score, every game is going to end up looking like this just by the structure of the defense. So I, I don't know how much Zadarius would change. Um, I don't think their outside linebackers are the issue right now. Like Gary's been playing better. He's a depoy candidate, apparently. I think it's kind of silly that he is. Um, Preston what? Smith has played a lot better. That He's a depoy candidate? What, what part of that is ridiculous? Rashawn Gary? Yeah, he's like six on deep way odds or something. Doesn't make sense to me either, KP. That's why I brought it up. But yeah, I I, I just don't I, I think it's just the structure of the defense more than anything. I think the talent is there. The one the one guy who's regressed a lot this year, Devondre Campbell. I mean, he was a first team Ooh, all pro all last pro. year. He's no good this year. That's a major red flag for me. All right. Well, we've got another tie, so we need Steven Serta to break the tie here. What a surprise. Justice went with the Packers. Steven, I don't know. You got the Packers. You got the Saints. Where are you, where are you leaning? 
I think I'm going to go with the Saints here. Oh! <laughs> it's every week I watch the Packers and I'm like, they'll get it figured out. Aaron Rodgers <laughs> will turn this thing around. And they just keep not doing it. And, and they keep looking worse at it. Like, like they Like, they really don't have any answers. And I do think there is something to the Saints, like, they still got talent on the defensive side of the ball when they're healthy. Chris Olave looks like he is going to be an absolute stud, like awesome draft pick for the Saints. And so they at least have some talent and some cornerstones that I can point to and say, like, that's how they win football games. Kind of like KP was saying, I have no idea how the Packers win football games right now because you would think Aaron Rodgers is the answer to that, but he hasn't been. The defense is supposed to be good, and it's not. I just don't know how the Packers are going to get better from here on out. Well, hey, the he Packers hasn't been activated him. off of IR, but Sammy Watkins is back in <laughs> For two quarters, Sammy Watkins is coming back. The Packers can't score on offense. They have the literal worst rushing defense from a success point standpoint, and they, they're not generating turnovers. So it's tough to believe in them when you figure out, when you just boil it down to that. All right, so we have one more to go. The Saints, Justice, or the defending Super Bowl champion, Los Angeles Rams. Dang. Wow. I didn't expect it to uh, go this way, but I think the Saints are the winners here. The The Rams' offense is just too messed up, man. The offensive line, they just lost no boom, right? We talked about that um, before we got on air. That is just not going to get better this year. Their offensive line just is not going like how and it, it's not even like one position. It's not even like just they're struggling at left tackle. Maybe they can make a trade at the deadline, something like that. There's so many holes on the offensive line. There's no way that they can correct it during the season. So, I mean, maybe they sign OBJ. Maybe that opens up some more stuff for them, but that doesn't fix the offensive line. And it seems like the offensive line is the issue with the Rams. I think their their defense is okay. Um, it's still a little stars and scrubs, but on the offensive side, it, that that line is just not going to get any better. The only offense in the NFL that has a lower EPA per play offensively than the Rams are the Carolina Panthers. That is not okay. That is very surprising. And I say that because heading into the season, we thought, all right, Stafford, year two, they're about to do the damn thing. They got Allen Robinson. Last week was the first time it seemed like they even attempted to get Allen Robinson involved in the game. And that was, you know, like a red zone fade. They threw a back shoulder fade down the sideline as well. But outside of that, it's it seems like Stafford only trusts Cooper Cup and he doesn't have the time to get the ball to Cup on these plays. And Cup is still amazing. Like there's nothing has really changed from Cup other than uh, the volume, the outrageous volume that he was getting last year. But, yeah, I don't. I don't think that this offense is going to be fixed anytime soon, considering that no boom went down and they already couldn't block. And I do wonder about the defense. I wonder how the defense will look once they're, they're not playing teams like Carolina, right? And they're not playing the Cooper rushes because yeah, they played well against those teams, but everybody plays well against like the backup quarterbacks. But um, oh, I do have questions. Me. I mean, that's fair. Unless that <laughs> backup quarterback is Colt McCoy. Bailey Zappi out there. I mean, come on. <laughs> Fair enough. But I, I mean, the Rams are, they're above average defensively, but they are, they're so far behind the eight ball on offense and they have so many issues. I uh, can't run the ball. 
Um, it's tough to generate explosive plays for them. Teams are really shrinking the field. I can't, I can't pick the Rams in it, and it's crazy to say that about a Super Bowl team, but I'm, I'm going to go against a team whose quarterback is injured, whose two starting receivers are injured over the defending Super Bowl champions. Can I just say this about the Rams, though? And maybe it's just because my 49ers trauma is kicking in here, but I feel like Sean McVay, by and large for his career, doesn't lose the games that he's supposed to win. Like Sean McVay does not lose to the Atlanta Falcons like the 49ers did last week. 49ers are supposed to win that game and they don't. They lose to teams they should beat all the time. The Rams, even though they have issues, I feel like they don't do that, right? They found a way to beat the Falcons. They found a way to beat the Panthers. Yeah, they lost to the 49ers and Cowboys, but they found a way to beat the Cardinals. Like at least at the bare minimum, I feel like the floor for the Rams is maybe higher than it is for some other teams that have problems. You can see McVay pushing every button possible um, on the sideline or, or just when they're on the offensive side of the ball. And I imagine, you know, with a bye week, they're going to, he's going to come up with something and just figure out what he can and can't do with Stafford. So I do agree there. Like he, he is excellent at what he does. And he, like, he would be the one reason why the Rams do figure it out. I just think also that, having Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey helps. Yeah. That's, that's always nice. I just think. Honestly, I think they're one of the worst three and three teams in the league, to be honest. I know, I know a lot of people are going to see three and three former Super Bowl champ and they're like, oh, they're at the top of, you know, the power rankings of the three and three teams because of their previous resume. But that offensive line is so messed up that like, OK, scheme up a bunch of stuff. If you can't block, you can't move the ball. Like, that's what it's going to be at the end of the day. I just can't imagine that gets fixed. If it does good for them, you know, we'll be singing McVay's praises once again but like i just can't imagine that that's going to get fixed in season i can't i just can't <laughs> there there are three losses against three of the better if not the best defenses in the nfl they couldn't do anything offensively the bills uh the 49ers and the cowboys they just had no answers at all and that's what it's going to be like in the playoffs that's what it's going to be down the stretch and obviously you're not going to run into the top three defenses but Ooh, yeah, I don't, I don't know how they how they figure that out unless they make some key, key additions. And by that, I mean adding some Hall of Fame offensive linemen to protect Stafford. <laughs> What's Andrew Whitworth up to? Maybe he can. Well, they had that Andrew Whitworth thing, right? Where they asked Andrew Whitworth about playing with the Cowboys. And he was like, mm-hmm. I got to ask my family. Why did the why why the Ravens let him retire then? I don't I don't understand that. I don't know, but I will say congratulations, New Orleans Saints. You are the winner of the gauntlet. You are the NFC team that sucks the least. Wouldn't have been my choice. That's fine. Uh, Congratulations, New Orleans Saints. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. Please rate, review, and follow the SB Nation NFL show. If you take the time to leave a review, we will read it on the show. Justice, KP, thank you very much. You made me a smarter fan.